A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. It has been precisely 30 years since the United Nations held an all-important meeting to discuss the question of human rights where the Vienna Declaration was produced. Three decades on, perhaps it is time to reflect and rethink the definition of human rights. What constitutes them? And does any country have the right to monopolize the definition of human rights? Recently, a meeting was held in Beijing to discuss just that. Ten guests from the UN, developed countries and developing countries gave a speech at the Forum on Global Human Rights Governance in the morning of June the 14th in Beijing. The UN guests attached a lot of importance to human rights as well as China's contribution to human rights. Let's listen to Mr. Aslan Abashidze, member of the United Nations Committee on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. He was the vice chairman and reporter of the committee and is head of the Department of International Law at Moscow State Institute of International Relations. The president of China, Xi Jinping, pointed out that on the basis of equality and mutual respect, China is ready to actively conduct human rights dialogue and cooperation with all other parties to expand common understanding, reduce differences, promote mutual learning, seek progress together, and jointly advance to international human rights cause for the greater benefits of peoples across the world. There were guests from developed countries. Mr. Robert Lawrence Kuhn, chairman of the Kuhn Foundation from the United States, who has lived in China for over 30 years, provided insightful thoughts on China's poverty alleviation. A final point about President Xi Jinping. Foreigners may be surprised to learn that he has considered poverty alleviation to be his most important task. He made the remarkable statement, I have spent more energy on poverty alleviation than on anything else. I know no other national leader who has made such an assertion. For China, poverty alleviation exemplifies human rights. And for the party, to develop both human rights and democracy is both a mission and a challenge. Also, Mr. Stefan Brauer, chairman of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden, shared his observations and understanding on Western countries' human rights issues. Unfortunately, the present ongoing effort to demonize China coming from the US, the, United, the UK, and the G7 is based on a combination of fear and virtual total ignorance of both modern China and the great history of over 5,000-year-old civilization. Western political leaders presently lack any insight into this great, long history. They consider brute force to be the solution to problems, and they cannot and do not trust others. Besides, some guests from developing countries provided a fresh perspective. Listen to this part from Zhang Weiwei, director of the China Institute of Food and University. If we follow China's poverty alleviation model, with the 2.3 trillion U.S. dollars spent on the U.S. war in Afghanistan, we could nearly eliminate extreme poverty all around the world. Let's listen to some crucial parts of the speeches from several guests. Now it is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Aslan Abashiza, member of the United Nations Committee on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, 
also vice chairman and rapporteur of the committee, head of the Department of the International Law at Moscow State University of International Relations. During the meeting with United Nations High Commission for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, in March 2022, the president of China, Xi Jinping, pointed out that on the basis of equality and mutual respect, China is ready to actively conduct human rights dialogue and cooperation with all other parties to expand common understanding, reduce differences, promote mutual learning, seek progress together, and jointly advance to international human rights cause for the greater benefits of peoples across the world. These remarks made by the president of China are fully based on the provisions of the United Nations Charter and Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Among these provisions, there is a great foundational principle of global human rights governance, which consists of two commitments of the states of the anti-Hitler coalition encapsulated in Articles 55 and 56 of the United Nations Charter. First, it's a commitment of themselves to the pursuit of international cooperation for the promotion of human rights for all people. And another one, it's a pledge themselves to take measures jointly and separate for the achievement of universal respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms. These commitments are now international legal obligation of 193 UN member states. Human rights action plan of China 21-25 contains chapter six, which is entirely devoted to the participation of China in global human rights governance, including fulfillment obligations to international human rights convention and engaging substantially in the work of United Nations human rights bodies. In this context, let me say that the realization of moderate prosperity is not only a glorious achievement of the Communist Party of China for the Chinese people. I would like to remind that China is home to nearly one-fifth of the world population. Its complete eradication of extreme poverty the first the United Nations 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development 10 years ahead of schedule is a milestone in, in not only the history of the Chinese nations, but also in the history of mankind too, making an important conditions to the course of global poverty alleviation. At the end of my speech, let me put question. What is the fate of the current global human rights governance? What should be kept and should be changed? The clear answer is given by the president of China, Xi Jinping. He marked four priorities. First, putting people front and, and center. Second one, respecting different countries' path of human rights development. Third, following a holistic approach to all categories of human rights. And last one, stepping up global human rights governance. In joint statement, as I mentioned at the beginning, the sites underlined that Russia and China, as world power and permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, intend to firmly adhere to moral principles and accept their responsibility. 
strongly advocate the international system with the central coordinating role of the United Nations in international affairs, defend the world order based on international law, including the purposes and principles of the United Nations Charter, advance multipolar and promote the democratization of international relations, together create an even more prospering, stable and just world, jointly build international relations of a new type. Now let's welcome Mr. Robert Lawrence Kuhn, Chairman of the Kuhn Foundation. My presentation today focuses on the link between human rights and what China calls its whole process people's democracy, a mysterious phrase to Westerners who assume that China's political system, which has neither multiple parties nor general elections, can be in no way democratic. Yet, when President Xi Jinping explains China's great rejuvenation, China's second centenary goal of becoming a fully modernized socialist nation by the 100th anniversary of the People's Republic of China in 2049, he uses six aspirational adjectives, the third of which is democratic. He calls democracy a shared value of humanity and a key tenet upheld by the party and the Chinese people. To be used, he says, to solve the problems that the people want to solve. The party's call is to expand the orderly political participation of the people, to strengthen the protection of human rights and the rule of law, and to ensure that the people enjoy extensive rights and freedoms in accordance with the law, thus enhancing whole process people's democracy enhances human rights. Democracy in the party-led system involves absorbing political opinion via feedback mechanisms, such as polling to discern what people think, for example, about proposed new policies, a process that the party calls pooling people's wisdom. Another example is when officials are nominated to new positions, there's a period of time for candid feedback from colleagues and subordinates, as well as from superiors. So, even though there are no elections in the Western sense, there is a good deal of engagement with different constituencies. In enhancing whole process people's democracy, President Xi calls for upholding and improving the People's Congress system, stressing properly and effectively exercising their power of overship. Moreover, the work reports of party leadership at party congresses every five years and of the government at the National People's Congress every year reflect a good deal of input and suggestions from all relevant officials, experts, and constituencies. The documents circulate iteratively many times during the six to eight months or more of the drafting period. I like to stress the increasing role of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference in the development and deliberative and consultative democracy because even though the CPPCC has no formal power, it has the growing social powers of expertise, influence, and public pressure. I have been coming to China for more than 30 years. I have traveled across China, visiting over 100 cities with my long-term partner, Adam Jew, for research and interviews, books and essays, television and documentaries. Yet, as much as I thought I knew China, 
I did not appreciate all that is required for poverty alleviation until I visited poor villages and regions, especially remote mountain villages, and spoke with poor villagers. It was in 2013 that President Xi first proposed the concept of targeted or precision poverty alleviation. Targeted means standardized procedures and individualized programs to bring each poor family out of poverty. Five levels of local party secretaries coordinated their roles, provincial, municipal, county, township, and village. Third party evaluations were conducted regularly and randomly to ensure accuracy and honesty. I was startled to discover that every poor family in China had its own file. That's millions of poor families, each with its own customized plan, each checked monthly and digitized for central compilation and analysis. Equally startling, local officials were dispatched to impoverished villages to manage poverty alleviation for two years or more. After China eliminated all extreme poverty in 2020, relative poverty was still extant, of course. And thus, President Xi set a broader, longer-range, multi-decade goal, common prosperity. A final point about President Xi Jinping. Foreigners may be surprised to learn that he has considered poverty alleviation to be his most important task. He made the remarkable statement, I have spent more energy on poverty alleviation than on anything else. I know no other national leader who has made such an assertion. For China, poverty alleviation exemplifies human rights. And for the party, to develop both human rights and democracy is both a mission and a challenge. Now let's give the floor to Mr. Stephen Brar from the Bowden Road Institute. He's the chairman of the Bowden Road Initiative, the Institute in Sweden. Let's welcome. The dramatic and profound changes that are emerging worldwide can be effectively connected to the rise of a new China. This is expressed clearly in Xi Jinping's thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era. And the importance of understanding and of studying these ideas for not only the people of the People's Republic of China, but even more importantly for the rest of the world. These ideas cannot no, any, any longer be ignored. In fact, the great majority of the world's populations are embracing the ideas. As chairman of the Belt and Road Institute in Sweden, it has been my goal to promote and educate Swedes other Europeans, and ultimately even the United States and world citizens in general to the great advantages that the Belt and Road Initiative has for global development and cooperation. We celebrate this year, 2023, the 10th anniversary since China's President Xi Jinping launched the initiative in 2013. So in addition to being honored to represent the importance of the BRI to my fellow Swedes and Europeans who have yet to seemingly in general understand the importance of it, it gives me great personal happiness to advance this cause 
for a community, for a shared future, for mankind. I'm convinced it is the pathway to peace as well as to, as to true human rights in the proper sense of development and the elimination of global poverty. As a philosophical thinker and educator, I am deeply connected to the importance of the BRI, and it is through culture and history, as my friend, the China's ambassador to Sweden, Shui uh, Amin, expressed it in an article published in Sweden, through culture, we are more united than divided. Of course, this is dependent upon certain common fundamental principles of human society and culture that unite us. These are, in my view, the basic goodness of men and women. Secondly, the harmonious nature of humanity in relation to the universe and the unique quality of creative and innovative thinking, which separates human beings from the lower beasts and animals. Shakespeare expressed this most beautifully as man and women as the crown of creation. When we live and understand one another in light of these ideas, we communicate, we cooperate, we discover and find friendship and trust. We build bridges between cultures. As Xi Jinping's extremely important latest initiative for a global civilization initiative reflects this. Naturally, there are differences and they must be respected, but we do not need, they do not need to divide us. Rather, in the best sense, they teach us to learn from each other. Unfortunately, the present ongoing effort to demonize China coming from the US, the UK, and the G7 is based on a combination of fear and virtual total ignorance of both modern China and the great history of over 5,000-year-old civilization. I fully respect the sovereign choice of political system of the People's Republic of China, yet I see the Belt and Road Initiative emerging out of this very long and profound history of China. Western political leaders presently lack any insight into this great long history. They are trapped in a, in a philosophical basement of Western philosophical thinking, Hobbesian. Hobbesian view that sees men and women fundamentally as only evil and egotistical. Therefore, they operate on the law of the jungle. They consider brute force to be the solution to problems, and they cannot and do not trust others. And this is creating the basis for the great geopolitical conflicts that are terrorizing and tragically affecting the human race at the moment. And this kind of Hobbesian view, this lacks any substance in protecting or defending human rights as it has been expressed by others here. However, there is, from my view, there is a bridge that is both a true basis for optimism as well as cross-cultural understanding that will and can unite both East and West in the right spirit. But one crucial idea is this idea of the common good for all people. I believe is the pathway to improved relations and what Leibniz called a commerce of light. This is where human rights 
and the BRI can merge to give the world a community for a shared future for mankind. It is my honor to welcome Mr. Everly Chet Green, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Agriculture, Trade and Barbuda Affairs from Antigua and Barbuda. It was 30 years ago that the UN held the World Conference on Human Rights in Vienna and adopted the Vienna Declaration and Program of Action. That was 1993. A milestone in the history of the world human rights cause, this declaration emphasized the equality and indivisibility of human rights. Today we are gathered here not only to commemorate the establishment of this important and necessary declaration, but also ensure that the nations of the world strive to maintain the key elements of this global declaration. This revered instrument celebrates the universality of human beings and human rights, emphasizes that all human rights are universal, indivisible, interrelated, and interdependent. It rejects cultural relativism and asserts that human rights apply to all individuals, regardless of their culture, religion, or social and economic development. Yet another important element of the Vienna Declaration on the Human Rights is the strengthening of human rights institutions, the promotion and protection of human rights at the domestic level. It also recognizes the role of the international and regional human rights mechanisms, such as the UN Human Rights Council and the treaty bodies in monitoring and addressing human rights violations. It allows for the empowerment of marginalized groups by addressing discrimination and promoting the rights of vulnerable and marginalized groups, including women, children, indigenous people, and persons with disabilities. The VDPA also emphasizes the importance of human rights, education, awareness, raising, and promoting of a culture of human rights. Encouraging states to incorporate human rights education in school curricula and to disseminate information about human rights to the general public. This emphasis on education has helped to foster greater understanding and respect for human rights among individuals and communities. Another critical element of the VDPA is the significance of international cooperation in promoting and protecting human rights. It encourages states to work together, share best practices, and provide technical assistance to strengthen human rights systems globally. This emphasis on cooperation has facilitated dialogue and collaboration among states and has also contributed to the advancement of human rights worldwide. It is important to note, colleagues, that while the VDPA itself is not a legally binding document, it has served as a guiding framework for human rights advocacy and action in Antigua and Barbuda, and indeed the rest of the Caribbean. Its impact can be seen in the continued efforts to address human rights violations, promote equality, and empower marginalized communities around the world. The People's Republic of China's people-centered approach to human rights management speaks to the fact that people are what human rights are all about. This approach focuses on a philosophy that promotes people as the real masters of their destiny through effective civil and political consultations. This was evident in which China managed the COVID-19 pandemic nationally and its massive outreach to the rest of the world. 
permit me, my dear colleagues, to therefore encapsulate my thesis, and that is that global human rights declarations play a crucial role in shaping social development. They provide a normative foundation, legal protections, accountability mechanisms, awareness and advocacy platforms, international cooperation, and also promote inclusive development. By upholding human rights principles, societies can strive towards more equitable, just, and sustainable social development for all. As we gather here today, 30 years on, I encourage us to recommit, recommit to the ideals of the VD, VDP, which has brought the world much benefit. I thank you. Let's welcome Mr. Zhang Weiwei, Director of the China Institute of Fudan University. The 20-year war in Afghanistan launched by the United States has cost nearly 2.3 trillion U.S. dollars, while resulting in human rights abuses, countless casualties and massive displacement. As UNICEF recently reported, nearly half of Afghan children are suffering from malnutrition. Among these, 3.2 million children under the age of five are at risk of dying from severe malnutrition. Ramiz Alakbarov, the UN resident and humanitarian coordinator for Afghanistan, said in a statement that 95% of the Afghan population does not have enough food to eat. In stark contrast, with one-tenth of what the U.S. spent in the war in Afghanistan, that's about 250 billion U.S. dollars, China has successfully lifted the last 100 million people out of poverty within a decade, thus achieving the great goal of eradicating extreme poverty throughout the nation. We can even put forward a hypothesis, that is, if we follow China's poverty alleviation model, with the 2.3 trillion U.S. dollars spent on the U.S. war in Afghanistan, we could nearly eliminate extreme poverty all around the world, including much of it in the United States. It would also be enough to relieve 45 million Americans from crushing student debt. But the U.S. government is simply unwilling to do so because its political system has long been controlled by the military-industrial complex. Through constant wars, including the war in Afghanistan and now the Ukraine crisis, they have made tons of money, despite bringing one crisis after another, with even disastrous consequences for the American people. I wonder if such a country is really qualified to talk about human rights in this world. As Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed in the Global Development Initiative, development should always be the top priority. And only through development can poverty be eliminated, thus getting rid of the root cause of many conflicts. That will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. I'll see you again next time.